0: because once they have that baseline context it gets easier for us for as marketers because it's not about the most subjective overly ambitious goal now they're actually understand where they're at they have that context to know where they're going and even if it's just the m- needle moving we're not debating about what we do or if marketing is you know is viable or not we're debating how to do it better you're listening to real marketing real fast
1: Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today, my guest in studio is James Soto. He is an industrial marketing pioneer. I had a great conversation with him. He left some great Tips uh, in terms of strategy and tactics and marketing. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And the big plus I want you to get away, uh, to get from this episode as well, is listen to his business model, how he's niched down and he sells his services at a premium and, and he's in demand. So, a little bit about James. James is a three-time Inc. 5000 fastest growing company leader. He's a keynote speaker and regu- uh, recognized contributor to Fabtech, HubSpot, Modern Machine Shop, Mashable, and LinkedIn events. As well, he is also the host of Industrial Strength Marketing on YouTube, where he shares um, his marketing insight that help industrials make marketing the strength of their business. As the founder and CEO of Industrial, one of North America's top marketing agencies, James has worked with major B2B brands and industrial brands such as Motion and Industries, Schneider Electric, ABB Balford, SKF, Coates, uh, Hunter Fan, NIST, PAM, Transport, ASME, and the Manufacturing USA. James is also a prolific visionary, and he's responsible for branding and co-producing Manufacturing Day, which was the largest industrial sector promotion in US history. And now he's the co-founder of Nashville Made. It's a community focused on making way for manufacturers to thrive in Nashville's urban core. Born industrial, raised digital, James shares his point of view as to why leaders, marketers, and sellers must make their way of living and marketing obsolete before generational technology, market forces, or the competition does. So, I'd like to welcome James to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, hey, James, so excited to have you on the show today. So welcome to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast. Great to be here, Doug. So do you want to take 30 seconds or a minute and just give us a high level view of uh, what you guys are doing and how you're helping your clients move the dial?
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I'm the founder and CEO of Industrial. We are a brand and business growth consultant. We're focused squarely on the industrial sector. And really what we do and what we ultimately promise is to help our clients be better marketers and sellers of their industrial products and services. So really we help them with the mindset that they have to be great marketers, whether we're there or not. So we've built a strong business around that growth consultancy, you know, brand and business positioning strategy, the full integrated marketing mix, digital marketing, tech ops and enablement, and an analytics and insights practice. And so by focusing on the industrial sector, really understanding it, We've been able to really build that empathy, knowledge, and and actually help them grow their businesses.
1: Well, it's interesting because you know, um, obviously, we all you know use or, or touch at some point in our in our life industrial products, but it's not a topic that we hear a lot of people talking about. Uh, maybe it's because it's not quite as sexy as the latest Starbucks marketing campaign or the Super Bowl ads. But obviously, these guys need to sell their their goods and services, or they're not going to keep the doors open either.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I I hear that that the perception really has to this point been that it's not sexy. And I think what we, you know, we believe is that the technology that we have today is all because of the industrial revolution. It all started with that. And if you really look at, you know, any sexy campaign, whether it's Starbucks or Apple, everything that goes into that iPhone, whether it's 100 suppliers, really involves a very, very challenging, very rewarding need to be great marketers and helping drive preference specification there's interdependency that thing has to work or you've got millions of products that are (laughs) not going to work right right. and so really selling that promise and all the technical and engineering aspects are really great because we're not working with some mid-level marketer we're working with the engineer that literally design that product and is really betting the business that it's going to perform. So we, we really see in every product, the injection molder that made the plastic casing, the circuit board company, the boxes, the production equipment, everything that goes into designing and manufacturing and, and really getting to market that product. And honestly, it seems kind of boring to us to like, yeah, it looks pretty. It's a great ad campaign and blah, blah, blah. But we're like, we're, we're actually really driving a business relationship with a decision-making unit. And it really challenges you to be the very best marketer you can be. Advertising is just a part of that. So um, we think we get to do actually the sexiest stuff out there, which is really work at a strategic level. And and that's really where, you know, we believe everything begins
1: well, I mean, it's interesting looking at some of the examples in your website. I mean, early on when I got out of school, I went through an apprenticeship as a steel fabricator. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember the days of working during the day and taking night school courses at night for marketing and, and stock market and that sort of stuff. But seeing how that whole plant ran and the types of things projects they were involved in. Hey, they're building this, this conveyor that's going to move coal from the coal fields to the port or the, hey, they're building these drill rigs for, you know, to go out into the bogs or they're building, you know, we had Expo 86 before we had the Olympics. They're building all the structures for that. Somebody needs to build all of that or they're building Safeco Field for the Seahawks. Yeah. Um, you know, and a local steel company gets the bid for all the industrial steel. And I think as this, this consumers, we drive around and you're right, we pass, we pass all these buildings, these structures, we go to our, watch our favorite football game, hockey game, whatever we're into. And like you said, there were thousands of people that were involved in that process that had to sell their products and services so we can
0: actually sit in the seat that we're sitting in watching the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And when you go a level deeper there, you're actually seeing your clients as an agency like us or as a business of your own. You know, we worked in the cellul- cellular industry and like, oh, there's another tower. And all of a sudden you realize there's one everywhere. And when you <laughs> when we go into buildings, what's really interesting is one of the things we often do, we're saying, that's our client, that's our client, that's our client, that's our client. Everything inside of the four walls of manufacturing, industrial distribution or the industrial logistics and services part of that supply chain. We have clients everywhere and it's super rewarding and powerful to see the context of the things we take for granted as an end product.
1: Well, and I like the fact that you guys niche down. So often business owners and entrepreneurs as they're starting up want to serve everybody. And you guys have clearly you know, put your stake in this in the sand and said, hey, this is, this is what we do. And I had read a book years ago by an author named Chet Holmes. And he talked about the advantage of doing what you're doing, being the experts in a particular field. So you're the go-to. And then all of your references and referrals are the same network. So you're not trying to recreate 15 different types of business models. Because you're dealing with a variety of, of uh, different industries.
0: Yeah, I, I think you know. I think just leading into this, I believe there's 47,000 agencies of all shapes and sizes in the U.S. I look at really 30, and I take seriously 10, and I think I compete against less than that. We are unapologetically industrial, and and what we found is by really finding the niche understanding that problem that's unserved in the market that we've found, we are able to command a premium, a differentiated premium for that talent and expertise. The number one thing we hear when we get hired is why, well, why'd you hire us? Because you're industrial. Sure. And that is very validating. And so for us, we believe in the same for any marketer that, you know, those, if there are those key, points that differentiate you, you know, and you can find niche opportunities, you know, I don't know who said it first, but it, you know, the riches are in the niches. Yeah. And I think that's an opportunity for us all.
1: Well, I had Christopher Lockhead on my podcast, and if you know who he is or you've listened to him, he, he clearly talks about being legendary and, you know, just being an agency. I just did a quick search while you uh, were sharing there to see how many agencies and according to Statista, according September 2018, there's 13,000 agencies in the U.S. as of uh, their survey date
0: was 217 to $8.1 billion in sales. Isn't that amazing? You know, I love when I say stats, like, and it's super compelling, even if I'm more than half wrong.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. So. yeah, but I mean, but so like you 30, said, you're
0: in all shapes and
1: sizes. Yeah. And, and who knows? I mean, that, that that's yeah. survey was done, you know, three years ago. And uh, with the Internet, everybody can be an agency now with a website and a cell phone.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where maybe that comes in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Sure. Now we, won't, we won't go there because we know you guys are a lot deeper than that. So do you want to just kind of walk us through maybe the process? So when you're working with somebody in industrial space, so I'm asking this out of ignorance because I've not worked with somebody in in the space that you're working in. How's the conversation typically start and what issues are they they trying to address
0: first? Well, I, I, think, I think the conversation starts a number of different ways. One, you really have to be very intentional about being engaged in the segment or industry that you're in. That means being present and so that's doing this that's being on the trade show floor that's being there so the conversation starts by a you know in in firms and companies there's folks that never leave the company and walk outside and and really in our business you have to be there where they're present so that's that's one way it starts and we work through what we call the three r's our relationships you know we we build our reputation and as a byproduct of that we certainly see those referrals
1: sure now, and that makes that makes sense, and I think often you know I don't know if our listeners are aware, but I know having done a little bit of work in sales after I left my apprenticeship to learn the business side, um, you know I was surprised and I shouldn't have been that there's there's foundry associations where you go to meetings with foundrymen who are pouring you know pouring steel. There is Concrete Magazine and all these. You know all the industries that we see and touch for the, all the infrastructure and everything that we have as a consumer good. There are magazines and niches and
0: trade shows for all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, that that's the beauty of uh, of industry is that there. It's not only that; but these are communities and it allows you to really identify and architect and map an ecosystem and whether you're consumer based focused you know marketer or you know more general b2b or you know like even fully industrial they each organization certainly has its tribe and you know they're their legion of fans or people you know who meet firmographic or demographic or psycho you know psychographic profiles and i think if you can look for those where those niches and those communities are i think you could do a real good job to engage and, and, and really activate them. So
1: is there a particular client or, you know, uh, a case study that you want to share with us? And then, you know, like I mentioned to you before, you feel free to mention the client or not, it's totally up to you yeah. in terms of how you help them and, and what the, you know, what they look like when they came with the other side after having some additional success.
0: Yeah. You know, I think for me, like, you know, I, I get often asked about a specific like marketing tactic or case study and what was like the magic Bullet, and you know, I'm thinking of one of our clients, a Hunter Industrial Fan, Hunter Industrial Commercial Fan, and they're they they make uh, industrial scale, you know, the very large, you know, high volume, low speed fans that you see, you know, those really big ones, and probably the best engineered product I, I've seen in a long time. And when we were first approached them, they they found us for all the reasons I mentioned. You know, we get it; you understand industrial, you understand our channels by which we sell all of that fun stuff. But, but when we met them, and it wasn't too long ago, they were literally in startup mode. They engineered an amazing product and they were just going for it. And it was just go do, go do, go do, because it was like game on, you're building the ship as you cross the ocean. <laughs> and I think the big lesson we learned is that you, know, you, have to, you have to slow down in order to speed up. And further, you have to know that everything starts with strategy. So as you're really kind of having these parallel paths, you need to do that. So fast forward, we're inside of a year. Companies looking at, you know, iterating and pivoting, you know, they're like, hey, we, we need to stop. And literally they stopped. And really, we had to go from doing marketing to really being serious about being a marketing integrated practice. So fast forward, uh, literally within weeks ago, uh, we got a call back. You know, this was after about a year and a half hiatus. And we said, "Okay, let's do this, which one was an amazing compliment to what they have accomplished. And two, it was a great testament to really knowing that you have to be able to set your goals, have that baseline. So, you know, where you actually took someone and understand, you know, measurably what is really happening to, to be a better marketer, drive the practice, drive the numbers. And so that started with a strategy. And really for us, um, I don't know about you, but a lot of folks have really struggled with like, how do you build a marketing strategy? And so we had to really go and, and dive into that. So what was the goal at a high level? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Sure. We needed to break it down to an objectives standpoint. Like, what's the measurable steps that we must achieve to accomplish our goal? Like, how are we going to start seeing that we're, you know, we, we took the hill here, and then, and then when you're working at a strategic level, then you can kind of look ahead and say, okay, what's the approach? What's our annual marketing approach to those goals, those kind of, you know, how do we take the battlefield? And then and then, once you have that approach, then that's where we come in as marketers very, that's where the tactics really come in and that's the argument starts to form and what, what, do, what do we need to say in our messaging? How do we, what are we trying to persuade people of and to do and deliver value? And then, and then the creative, like the big idea, creatively, like what do the things we need to say look like? And, and then finally, as we look at integrated distribution and technology plumbing, like where, how are we going to deploy her message? What, what are the tactics we're using wherever, whenever, however they may be looking? And, and by doing that, you know, we've been able to tie in the channels and the sales team and connect them and buyer journeys and do all of those things. So slow down. And and actually understand your benchmark metrics so that you'll have some context to where you really ended up or are progressing against those strategic goals and objectives. And the myth is that it's hard. I believe it's a mindset
1: yeah i would agree i mean you know <clears throat> i've worked with clients where it's you're like you said you're building the ship as you're crossing the ocean so it's you know launch this tactic launch that tactic launch the next tactic and you know they often have no benchmarks no analytics nothing it's just they've been running a whole bunch of advertising without really any thought to going back to hey who's your avatar where do you you know where are they is this the best place to be to be reaching them is this the most cost effective way so you're right no no planning this this roar ahead and good for you guys. I mean, congrats that the client uh, took a break. Because often, as you're making, you know, as you think you're making a headway, uh, it's tough to say no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna slow down, and uh, and reevaluate and make sure that I build uh, build strong for the future.
0: Yeah, they never slowed down. They they were just in crush it mode. They were yeah. building channels, getting things going. So so they were doing all the right things. But then there's this point in time where I think you realize now that you, you, you've got to, you do have to slow down and they had that moment and, you know, it's, it's a rare thing. You see those, you know, you see those uh, returns, but it it was, it, it's, it's probably one of the most exciting um, developments we, we, we've had here this year and it's because they're great people with an amazing product, with a commitment to truly live to the promise that we offer, which is the really be better marketers and sellers and, and super excited.
1: Well, and I would think that, you know, um, industrial is likely to have, um, you know, a larger startup cost. We're not talking about putting up a website, running some Facebook ads and selling an online course. So as the company scales, like you said, they're full, full out mode. There's a couple of things that could potentially happen in the future. One is they might require more capital. So they need to present an organized plan when they go back to whether it's equity or whether it's debt and prove to the lenders that, you know, they have a plan to, to, to continue to grow the business that's sustainable.
0: Yeah. 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 And I think, I think when we look at companies that are really like betting on the future, they're betting on growth. And and when you get to that, you know, that's a, you know, there are a lot of very, you know, long-standing, let's say old companies, old brands like, like Hunter. And then there's a point where they, they're, they're they have to strategically invest. And one of my beliefs, and I think we'll see in companies like that is I believe you've got to make your way of doing business obsolete before generational technology market forces, or the competition does you know, <laughs> model yep. pivot things happen and you've got to invest. And, you know, I'm a big Drucker fan, you know, the, you know, the two most distinguishing functions in a business are R&D and marketing. The rest are costs, so to speak. <laughs> and and so I think if you can do that and center your business on the customer, you know, that's, you know, that kind of plays out the rest of that story, that profit sh- or shall be your reward for a satisfied customer. So I, you know, the great thing about, and what's sexy about our segment, what's sexy about manufacturing, what's sexy about these brands and marketing, is that you can, you're literally there with the company that designs and innovates and builds it. The end product is the satisfied customer and that market need, that wow factor, whatever the product's designed to, to really address. That's what's really cool. Well,
1: and I, I think you may enjoy a book I had read called Hunger in Paradise. And it was how to say, well, I think the subtitle was something saving success from failure. And the examples that he gave were um, Lego. And, and it reidentifying who their competition was and it wasn't big blocks. it was it was the iPhone <laughs> <laughs> sure. right? Because they said, hey, you know kids given a choice for budget do they want you know so we're not competing with the other block companies. We're competing with with an iPhone. And then the other big example he gave was um, um, Nokia. yeah. And Apple coming along and, and Nokia is going, hey, we have a better engineered product. You can drop it. It will break. The battery life lasts. No one's going to buy an iPhone because if you drop it, it breaks and the battery sucks. And well, Nokia is gone. And, um, you know, um, iPhone seems to be doing pretty well.
0: Yeah, I think they're OK. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of cases like that. And there's a there's a term for that called black swan that concerns a CEO, definitely concerns the CFO. And black swan means that no CEO or C-suite wants to be like you know, have the business under their reins when they miss the opportunity to catch on in the right time for a major disruption in the market. right yeah. And so 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 one of the things that they have to do is really place their bets and really make sure they they understand those moments where, you know, you really have to disrupt and innovate and, you know, even look within your own business to see, you know, is your business even structured to innovate? Is it going to kill it if you try to innovate? And I think that Lego story could also be saying, you know, is it also a battle of digital attention? How are they marketing digitally to get people's attention while they're at it? Because, you know, we're still human beings. You know, the iPhone did not replace humanity and the fact that we kids like to play with toys, yeah. And so so when you start to really look at causality there, I think there may be a argument to say maybe they didn't have they lost people's attention. It wasn't just the the commercials and Saturday morning cartoons, which, by the way, aren't there so much. So yep. and,
1: and they inter- They integrated. So they gave the kids a chance to build something with Lego, take a picture of it, load it up into an online uh, program and play with what they created digitally. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So, and I, I think you have to do those, um, trials and learnings. Yep. Um, and again, for me, I have no clue what happened there, but it all, it's not all solved in an app. The Lego experience, that's an augmentation to it. But like, I love like geeking out about the data on that. But you know, last time I said like, they got some really great innovation. Legos ain't what they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> they still, and, they uh, still hurt when you step on them at your bare feet though. That's true. Yeah.
1: And so uh, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know if you've got kids, but I, I know I've got grandkids now and they, so Legos reappeared
0: and it's like, oh, yeah, now I remember what that was like yeah. walking in the middle of the night, stepping on the Lego. So there's just a Lego out a little bit more, do you know that they have an architectural series and they're super like complex? It's and it's literally architectural buildings and science themes. And like there's like, you know, it's not just for kids anymore. So really cool, cool stuff. You got to again, you've got to innovate, you know, and really start to find ways to question your own model. Absolutely. Like you said, make
1: yourself for then before your, your competition does that for you. Yeah, that's it. So in terms of when you're dealing with somebody with strategy, um, I just want to digress a bit and talk about tactics just because yeah. I'm not familiar with marketing tactics. And I often hear things like, oh, I can't I can't use that tactic as my audience isn't there. So in my space where I do a lot of work with the venture capital and private equity, people go, oh, you can't advertise on Facebook because, you know, investors aren't there. Well, clearly that's not true. And we've raised lots of money running Facebook ads. So, are, are there specific tactics that you guys would use and have the conversation with your client where they're going? Well, I don't know if that's the best place to reach my my client. I, I think, like, would yeah. you be in? So, would you be heavily invested in social,
0: as an example? Oh, absolutely. I think there's no doubt. We're human beings, and like, and I think the big myth about industrial marketing is we're not in Facebook, we're not on, you know, Instagram, we're not on you know, LinkedIn, um, we're not on Twitter. Those are major opportunities if you know how to leverage, and as a practitioner of marketing, and certainly those tactics, and you have the context and the ability to deliver the right message to the right person in the right context. And deliver engaging, useful, and actionable content. My, you know, for again, everything starts with strategy. You have to deliver value. You got to understand the problem in the market you're solving. You know, you have to understand the context that you deliver it. That's where we look at the, the practitioner side of the tactic itself or convincing someone of a specific channel or methodology. I think that's just baked into the narrative. We we have to be able to articulate that, but there is no one size fits all. And, and it's not just that, but there's a number of different dimensions that you'll encounter people or businesses on. Well, what are they set up in terms of staffing? Do they have zero resources in marketing and sales enablement, or uh, or you know a lot of resources? Do they have what are they with their marketing technology stack? Right? Do they have the tools of the trade and sales CRM, all of that stuff, or not? Do they have the attention of the team, or not? Um, do they? So so there's there's all these businesses are. In different places in their journey and some want some things that they do themselves that, you know, that honestly they don't need you to do. But, but when we look at it, it's really, again, comes down to one, we look at assessing their marketing readiness. We actually look at things like, what is the goal? What are we positioning here? Who is the customer? Do you guys know? We're also uh, accountable, you know, cause it's not about the tactic. It's about the result And so we can look at, predict, it. what does success look like? How are we going to measure it? And the biggest thing we've actually learned is to actually put a stress test to C-suites, to executive, uh, mid-level, you name it, marketers and sellers. And we give them a, we do an assessment with them to know, you know, what is the average bookings per customer? Do you know what your, you know, like kind of lead to close rate is? Do you know the lifetime value of customer? Do you know customer acquisition cost? Do you actually know why people do business with you? Why you win, why you lose? And we look at financial data. We look at like brand and positioning. What are you three uniques? They can't articulate it. They don't know their customer a- acquisition costs. They don't know how long it takes to close a sale because you you know, in B2B and industrial, you have a lot of longer buying cycles. Sure. And so basically... Most, a lot of those questions, I don't know if you know this, like lifetime value, customer acquisition costs. If you don't know some of those data, you can't even calculate return on investment. So they're asking you about a tactic. Yeah. They're asking you to get results. And they don't even have a baseline to even convince themselves ultimately to know that they've set nothing but arbitrary subjective goals So we believe our first job is to get them ready for marketing. We do a marketing assessment for them so that they can see, understand what they know and don't know what we can and cannot measure. And, and Hey, do we need to set up that measure? Because once they have that baseline context, it gets easier for us for as marketers, because it's not about the most subjective, overly ambitious goal. Now they're actually understand where they're at. They have that context to know where they're going. And even if it's just the needle moving, We're not debating about what we do or if marketing is, you know, is viable or not. We're debating how to do it better. We're debating, okay, let's let's keep let's kill that tactic. Yeah, doesn't work or it's not performing yet. And honestly, since we've done that, we, we found that that's actually the number one need we've identified in the market is our first job is to get our clients ready for marketing.
1: And that's great. I think that's absolutely great advice for for anyone who's going to spend any money on marketing. I say, if you can't measure, don't spend money on it. Like what what are you trying to achieve before you like you go tactic? I was just interested in tactics uh, because I, I want to back up to something you said that I, okay. I've made a note of that I'm going to remember. And that is we're humans first. So, yes. you know, before you before you rule out potential tactics for your industry, whatever your industry is, that's the way I've always thought of it. We get up in the morning, we put our you know, our legs in our pants one at a time and most of us have a cup of coffee and we drive to work and we listen to the radio or podcast, whatever we do. So the idea that, Hey, that tactic won't work because I'm industrial or cause I'm financial. And you come back and say, we're humans first. Yeah. If we deliver value and we know what their need is, we can help them get there. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: absolutely. You got to be brave. Right. And you've got to experiment, you know, and part of that's being, you know, trials and learning fail fast. And I think, I think, that, that's what's great about marketing. That's what's great about it. You, you get to run real controlled and sometimes uncontrolled experiments.
1: <laughs> well, and I, and I like this stress test because, you know, it's really tough to decide after you've you've come up with a strategy and you're launching various tactics where you would spend more or less money if you don't know what the metrics are, if you're not measuring anything at all. It's just really a guess, a best guess. And at the end
0: of the day, how do you justify what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to anyone who's in marketing, if you can be brave and, Go to your C-suite, go to your CEO, go to your head of whatever, CFO, and say, what do we really know about critical metrics that will either predict the success or failure of our efforts? And you're willing to call out the fact that maybe there isn't a commitment to the marketing function. Your values are represented in the very little amount of money that you spend in marketing. Um, We don't have people. We don't have resources. We don't even have a CFO or CMO. We don't even have a chief marketing officer you know, you have an institutional issue. And if you're brave enough to call that out and you're, you're brave enough to say, these are the things we need to know. And I'm a big, big believer in Kaizen, which means, you know, change for the better. Yeah. You know, essentially, the, you know, it's really the origin of, you know, like it's an outcrop of, of the continuous improvement movement and the war effort. And it's like, basically what small, it's like taking one step at a time. What's that one step you can take? And, and for me, you know, when it comes to, you know, any advice I'd give, To listeners, is you've got to take that one step and address really the big issues in the room. Do we believe marketing is a core distinguishing function of our business? Are we committed to making that a strength of our organization, strength of our business? You know, that's what you know. We're 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 launching a a podcast property, and that's the whole premise: make marketing the strength of your business. And that's you know, we're we're just going we're just going all out and calling out the. The fact that so many businesses don't are not even structured properly for marketing. So I think, you know, I I think when I meet folks that are in companies, especially and they're marketers and there's nothing really above them to support this, that's those are those be brave moments, because that's when you become the CMO one day. (laughs) That's right. Right. That's that's where you find a need. Hey, you hired me because you trusted me. And and I would tell you and shoot straight with you. You've asked me to have this responsibility, even if you're just creating brochures for salespeople, be brave, present something simple that next one's just the one step you can make. And I think that, you know, is what I would hope to inspire people to do because it's 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 a career changer. It's a life changer if if you have the right audience and there's an open mindset to it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, if you're working in an institution or organization that doesn't have that mindset, it's not open to that, then it's probably not a great long-term career for you anyhow.
0: That's a win, too.
1: Yeah, that's a win. <laughs> it's like great. time to move on. These guys clearly are just going to give me X number of dollars a year for marketing and not ask me anything and don't care what I do. Yeah. Just
0: spend the budget. Yeah, the, the other piece of advice I give folks when they're like in between jobs, and I'm like, what's your marketing budget? I can't, I can't tell you how many people take a marketing job and they don't even know their budget or lack thereof. And so that's also a key indicator of it. So
1: what's the, um, what's really got you excited this next 12 months? So you've shared that you've got a podcast coming up uh, and I think you said you're going to launch it in the spring. Yeah. But in your industry, what are you most excited about?
0: I, I think what I'm interested in and, and really happy to see, I, I, again, I'm Kaizen guy, like what's that one step, where's the needle just ticking. Right. I just love seeing the move beyond content to true value creation right? Let's just produce stuff to let's really create engaging, useful, and, you know, contextually actionable experiences for folks. So that's the first thing, you know, I think about it. The second thing I've, I've been really thinking about is really an area where we're spending a lot of time, which is, you know, technology that frees marketers and sellers from the work it takes no talent to do. So, you know, you think about the big issue, you know, we, we hear today and, you that know, robots are going to replace us. Right. And and I think one of the things that, it, that it's going to allow us to do is do the the you know, the highly you know, it takes high cognitive capability to do, you know, freedom from repetition. So you'll see that in manufacturing. Right. If you're you know, if you're in Willy Wonka's factory screwing on, you know, caps on toothpaste or something, you know, you, that's. That's just mind numbing, you know, soul stealing work. And we're seeing technologies on the horizon uh, that are outperforming humans on writing subject matter lines. You know, that's one of the most important thing in an email. There's technologies that can really predictively and prescriptively provide the right information at the right time you know, machine learning, uh, nat- natural language processing is really evolved where uh, they're actually quickly AI is becoming, pe- getting, gaining parity. And there are some indices that look at like even copywriting for ad copy. So when you look at the aspects of like ads and multiple groups of ads you're creating and the A-B testing of failing of which ones click through or not, AI is starting to show promise that it's going to do it better than humans, but not the strategic framework, let's say of a, you know of a Google campaign that you're building and you know AdWords. So you know when I talk tactically, i I, I, I want to really kind of look at it in the context of you know performance optimization. and I look at it uh, from the view of how does it make our life better as marketers? and And I think AI should do that work, that it can do better. and for us marketers. so 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 value creation, context, you know freedom to focus on, the human, you know, humanity side of it is, is is where our strengths are. And that's, what's, that's what excites me.
1: Yeah, I, I love the, uh, I'm kind of geeky that way. I love the the new tech stuff. And I've been trying some AI stuff for my subject lines in my own newsletter. So I've licensed a tool that uses a database. So when I'll, I'll create six or seven or eight subject lines, it'll come in. It'll rate them all according to the data that it's got. So it'll say, hey, we looked at you know 25,000 similar emails that use this and we think you're at, at par below
0: or above for delivery opens and clicks? Um, yeah, I think there's, there's, you know, I think, you know, if you're going to kind of pull the trigger and start to change, you, you've got to be willing to experiment and, you know, being first and early adopters, we, we tend to like go to shiny objects. And <laughs> I think one of the things that, you know, we're seeing from some of the, you know, the, the places we've been learning and adopting is that you've got, you've got to ex- Experiment and fail fast, yeah. and specifically AI is still at that space where you need to do small experiments, and that's what the experts tell you. And I think one of the things that you've got to do that, if you really want to, you know, make changes, you've you've got to learn before you act, and and sometimes you got to know those moments. You just got to like, okay, figure it out, right? So understand where you are, but but generally speaking, in the new, try to learn as much before you act. And there's a great uh, conference. It's uh, the, the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Conference, MyCon. And that happens in Cleveland every year now. And I think they held their first one and they're doing it again this year. And that's where it's bringing together communities. That's going to be a massive conference pretty soon. So like we're at one of those stages that if you're excited about marketing, you're excited about, I think, how you know, AI can help us do things better and free humanity. That's my point of view. Definitely check out MyCon. You know, so that learning aspect of it, I think there's a great opportunity Right now for you,
1: that's a that's a great tip. I've had a few guests on my podcast that have developed brand new CRM systems that rely on AI and starting to understand conversations from and processes from the salesperson side and conversations from the uh, prospect side to help you look at the data and make some decisions on kind of where people are at. Yep. So, like you said, it's early. It's early days. I'm not
0: I'm not trusting computers going to do everything like you said, but you use them use them where you can. Yeah. And and I think it's adoption curve, right? You want to do things not on the bleeding edge so much, but you you certainly don't want to be much past the leading edge to what is like the standard and what's comfortable now, you know, so that's, you know, leading edge, bleeding edge and, you know, the, you know, kind of the status quo. And I think, you know, that skin goes back to that make your way of doing business, living life obsolete before blah, 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 blah. That's where I think that's where, you know, that's what has me looking ahead. But that also competitively has me looking over my shoulder. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: So I've got a question that I didn't share with you earlier, but it's a Tim Ferriss question. And that is, what's some of the bad advice that you hear in your industry? Now, you're, you know, you're an agency, but you're a niche agency. So is there anything you can share with our listeners in terms of um, advice that you hear out there that they should be ignoring?
0: Gosh, um, you know, I don't take stock in a lot of things that um, <laughs> yeah, maybe I just try to forget.
1: That, hey, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, there's yeah. stuff that I hear that just grates me. It's like, seriously, you guys, like, like, like b- bad advice for your clients. So I should slap you for doing that. But
0: I just can't go there right now. I don't know what it is. Um, There's probably something that I'm going to regret not saying, but <laughs> no worries. Um, I, I'll be honest. Send me a no later. We'll I have it. no, you know, it's like for, it's like Mr. T, you know, in like the Rocky movie. He's like, I don't got no time for pain, you know, like <laughs> you know <what laughs> mean? So, maybe that's where we're, that's where we're going with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no worries well
1: in terms of podcast i mean you guys are launching a podcast the advice the bad advice that i hear is that uh, the, the, these guys are doing blanket pitches i got a pitch the other day for somebody that works with works with financial planners like i'm not a financial planner or i've had pitches for realtors so yeah it's not the um, the the broadcast stuff's not working so on to an easier question then um <laughs> who's one guest i absolutely have to have on my podcast
0: well, I think, I think Paul Rosener with MyCon would be great um, if you're interested in AI. Um, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek. Obviously, the why is always good. We always think everybody's heard like the why. And Yeah, I him oh. speak at a conference a couple of years ago. It was amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. And, you know, again, um, it's one of those things that we like take for granted some of the best content that's out there and not realizing yeah. that people are at different phases in their career and journeys. And we need to we always need to kind of reintroduce the things that are universally just solid in terms of content like that.
1: Now, the easiest question and most important question of the day is how can people reach you and uh, learn a bit more about you, your company and what you guys are doing if they want some help?
0: Well, I want to congratulate anyone that's made it this far with me on the line. So my name again is James Soto. <laughs> and you can reach me on LinkedIn, SOTO. And and obviously my company website, industrialstrengthmarketing.com. Um, and that's where you can look me up and connect and just-
1: there you go and and he's got his handsome looking face on his uh on his twitter account as well so if you look at james soto well, you can well see him better
0: there too, actually you,
1: you can see him there well you know it depends on the month right i yeah. I, I, I live that yeah. too so Well, super good. Hey, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day today and sharing. I think you left some really solid advice that is good, regardless of where people are in the marketing journey, that if they heed that, that's a great baseline and a great place to start before they
0: go any further. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again, James. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Doug.
1: So thanks, listeners, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know there's a ton of information. I've got half a page of notes here and some follow-up. And I think the uh, We Are Human will be stuck in my mind for a long time as I'm looking at tactics and strategy uh, working with clients so if you like this episode or you've got some comments or feedback don't be shy to share it and we'll make sure the show notes are transcribed so you can track down James and you can track down his company we are industrial and uh, get to know him and a little bit more about what they're doing if they can serve your uh, serve your company so thanks for tuning in I look forward to serving you on our next episode.
0: That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting Doug morno.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode that's doug until next time we look forward to serving you right here on real marketing real fast